I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm speaking with Greg Pilly, who is the managing director of Stroud Brewery based in Gloucestershire. He's an adventurer, environmentalist and beer lover. Now, Greg's worked with the Soil Association for five years, principally as project coordinator for the Cultivating Communities Project, which promoted and supported the developments of community supported agriculture. He's also founding member of Stroud Community Agriculture, a community cooperative which runs its own farm business, a director of Stroud Commonwealth, which supports social enterprise and community-based asset management. So, Greg, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Hi, Richard, and uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no, it's really, really. Uh, I'm really pleased to have you on uh, on this uh, on this show, particularly as it's March and it's um, B Corp month, isn't it? It is first day. First day of the month, and yeah, I, uh, so yeah, happy St David's Day uh, to you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as we start with these shows, it's a sort of quick fire questions um, to you, Greg. And um, so, you, you don't get away with this, you know, regardless of whether you're an ecologist or not, you still get to these quick fire questions. So, um, you ready to start? Go on, give it a go. I have prepared. <laughs> I don't think you can prepare. <laughs> I mean, I, have to, I do the most preparation for this bit, so don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, it should be all right. No right or wrong answers. So, first question. Very simple. Plants or animals? Oh, that's very tricky. I would go animals. Animals. Okay, good, good. Uh, birds or mammals then? To, to delve a little bit deeper into that. Mammals. Mammals. Yeah, people say dogs or cats, uh -huh. uh, but I, I sort of tapered down the birds or mammals route. And then we go split range. Okay, excellent. Favourite hop varieties at the moment? Oh, well, it's hard not to like the American hops, and we've just done a, um, a, a sort of session parallel with, with various hops. We're limited by our organic hops, so, you know, what we get to use. Uh, but we have, um, we have a beer with uh, uh, Idaho in at the moment, which is, which is very nice. Mm. Um, um, yes, I, I, again, I would struggle to pin my, pin my colours to a single hop there. That's, yeah, you'd, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is quite challenging, really, to, to, uh, yeah, to pick, pick a, a, I say just one hop, you could have multiple ones there. I, I, do like, I do like your mosaic uh, one there. Yes. That, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really, really good one. Um, now, you know, now you may struggle with this one. If you have a superpower, any superpower you like, okay, regardless of what it is, what would it be? And probably more importantly, how would you use it? Gosh, I think right now we need a bit of world peace. And yeah. I think <laughs> if I could have a superpower that brought uh, loving kindness, I think that's what we could all do a bit more of that sort of bit of, sort of compassion and loving kindness. I don't know if that's such a superpower exists, but uh, we could certainly do with it. Well, it tends to be in short supply, so I imagine it is a some sort of superpower. Then, if we if people do have it, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you there. And um, okay, on a, on a lighter question then. So, if you had to choose, um, 
would you spend your guilt-free time either reading a book, watching a film, or dancing? You can choose another one if you wish. Um, yes, no, I actually love watching a movie. Yeah. I really quite happily idle my time away watching some terrible movies. Uh, but I really enjoy the, the you know, just switching off to that and the fantasy of, of, of a movie. Uh, was that the last one you watched? Yeah. Reading a book, I'm just can, cannot concentrate on it. So No, no, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what was the last movie or film you saw then, Greg? Yeah, can you remember? Um, uh, what did I watch that's sort of most recent? Mm. Uh, I watched a great film called uh, The Green Book, which was uh, uh, about a, a, a guy who drives uh, a black musician into the South and the story about that, which is a true story. Yeah, which is a really, really good film. Oh, right. I haven't known see now. I ask, I ask people these questions and uh, they give me references. They give me sort of um, recommendations. Uh, um, I should follow some of these up, really. So um, I'll look out for the green book then. Thanks yeah, for that. Really good film. Uh, and finally, and finally, you'd be pleased to hear is um, which country, in your opinion, produces some of the best beers? Well, I mean, the UK has got to be quite up there, uh, but I, I love a Belgian beer. I mean, I like the, uh, the complexity, the strength, uh, and the fact that they're very uh, uh, malty, you know, that they, they're mm. sort of brought forward. It's not about uh, uh, the hops, which we've got quite used to in that sort of hop character, but those Belgian beers are, are really championing uh, the malt and the complexity that comes with it. So I think, yes, Belgian beers are amongst my favorite sipping beers favorite sipping beer. yeah because your beers are um i suppose malt forward as well aren't they i mean well i mean in my i mean just in my humble yeah they tend opinion. to be so we we use a um uh warmest maltings largely they're floor malted uh the conversion is not always perfect you end up with some residual sweetness uh, so our beers tend to have a bit more body a bit more sweetness uh, uh which gives them balance um and i certainly rather not have a, a very bitter beer. Mm. I'm always fighting with my brewers to reduce bitterness. <laughs> and actually, I think uh, as easy drinking beers, so, you know, we make beers that people want to drink and, uh, and keep coming back to, rather than a, a little sipping, sipping beer that uh, is uh, sort of quite um, uh, an experience, you know, initially, uh, yeah. but then, you know, you might end up at the end of the can and think you don't want to go back to that again. It's sort of an, an interesting taste experience but maybe not so much a drinking beer. Okay, okay. Now, obviously, I was going to say, we mentioned uh, at the start of this, it is B-Core month in March, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And uh, obviously, we, you know, we, sh we share the, the fact that we are both B-Cores ourselves. But before we get into that, let's, let's talk about um, you yourself, your sort of journey into, before establishing Stroud Brewery then. So a little bit about your, your background um, and, um, yeah, how you came to form the brewery itself. Yes, um, uh, as a as a teenager, sort of early years, I spent uh, uh, holidays and earned cash working on several local farms. So I was introduced into sort of UK, UK agriculture in my teens, uh, grain carting uh, and general sort of farm manual work. And then uh, on finishing university, I also paid off the the small uni debt at that time, uh, working on a on a local farm. Um, my university course was actually in uh, ecology. I um, uh, specialised in marine biology in the end, but uh, then didn't continue in marine biology. I sort of remained fairly, fairly terrestrial after that. 
And again, I was influenced by my uh, farming experience. I did a bit of mm. work in the UK uh, with uh, English Nature at the time, doing chalk grassland surveys uh, and some local work, sort of early, early work experience. Uh, and then I ended up in Nigeria as a VSO, a, a volunteer, uh, volunteer service overseas. And that was managing a conservation project in the north of Nigeria. Uh, and again, it was working with local people looking at how they could influence the management of their land and landscape. So sort of after that, returning to the UK, I uh, had various options, but ended up working with uh, the Soil Association in Bristol, uh, who know um, uh, uh, certify organic products. But I was working in their charitable part, and that was with their local food team. So that local food team was looking at how to shorten supply chains, what the models were that existed for that. And that was in, you know, sort of pre-2000, where actually local food still wasn't really a thing. You know, the first farmer's market was around uh, 2002, I believe, uh, the far modern farmer's market as we know them. So uh, it was still quite a struggle to find um, regular local food. So things like box schemes, uh, and in fact, I started there as a volunteer uh, investigating the few box schemes that existed uh, and wrote their technical guide on how to set up a box scheme and uh, run a viable business out of it. Uh, and then continued to, to do another feasibility on a concept known as community supported agriculture, uh, which is a concept that was coming out of the States and really was exploring a range of partnerships uh, that supported local farms largely in that transition from producing commodity goods into food for local people and those arrangements might be financial or time or, or just a commitment uh, uh, but lots of different ways that farmers could start producing food for local people uh, and as you mentioned in, sort of in, my, in my introduction that's that's really what brought me to Stroud there was a project here that was exploring just that uh, uh, a dairy farm that had a, a local milk round and the, the farmer was burning out and the community rallied round to see how they might support that little enterprise. Uh, as it happened, the farmer did decide to stop and it didn't continue as a dairy enterprise, but that group went on to set up Stroud Community Agriculture, renting land and setting up a vegetable growing scheme uh, that now runs a, a small diverse little farm, employing uh, a couple of full-time farmers and more volunteers uh, and supplying over 250 households with weekly veg and meat uh, and, uh, and lots of activity. So really interesting and uh, um, you know, a model that's now gone on for over 20 years since, uh, which is the time I've been in Stroud. Um, so when I uh, did arrive in Stroud, I was, uh, had a, uh, an ecology background. I had been uh, indoctrinated by the Soil Association around organic farming and local supply chain. And I wanted to bring those things into my own business. Uh, and I'd long had an interest in, in beer. Um, and I think that was partly through sort of an expatriate upbringing and how beer and a barbecue was very central to social life, but also with a real interest in how uh, people do come together around a beer and how uh, community is made uh, and being fairly itinerant in my past arriving in, in a foreign town uh, I sort of needed a, a sense of purpose and a reason for being here in this community uh, and the, the brewery brought all those things together so yes it's very much about having a business that 
met the needs of local people, but also did its best to uh, sort of um, uh, do well in terms of, of, of localization and, um, uh, you know, the way that we grow our food. Right. So, so what, what time scale are we here? So, you know, you, I say you moved, obviously you moved around a bit, you said there. So in terms of, um, you know, establishing yourself in Stroud um, itself, probably, is that, is it um, late nineties or? Um... No, I moved to Stroud in 2002 mm-hmm. and the brewery started in 2006. So it took four years for me to, to establish the brewery. Um, and it was actually whilst weeding a carrot field with a, fellow beer enthusiast we sort of said wouldn't it be great if Stroud had a brewery uh, and I was possessed and it took two years then to to put into being uh, and I managed to find a small unit not far from home which uh, we uh, knocked about and uh, and I uh, had a Heath Robinson little brewery set uh, fabricated again just around the corner Stroud's full of uh, uh, engineering workshops and fabricators so we got their kit made locally uh, and started brewing in June 2006, which is the same year that BrewDog started their enterprise, mm. although went in a very different trajectory. <laughs> That's it, yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we'll, uh, we, we, may, we may mention um, uh, BrewDog, but then again, we may not uh, to, to, <laughs> during this conversation. Maybe we'll, we'll take that off air so slightly there. But, um, okay, okay. So you set up the, the brewery in 2006. Um, and and what, what, what's different about your brewery then than, than compared to any other brewery or not, you know, to most breweries within sort of the UK market then? Yeah. So most breweries do the very similar thing. In fact, you know, as a tradition, it's gone on for thousands of years. And the actual basic method of making beer is exactly the same. You know, uh, beer is made out of grain, uh, whatever that grain might be. So when I was in Nigeria, we were drinking uh, Buruktu beer, which was made out of uh, sorghum and guinea corn, but it was beer. It was sort of out of a a malted grain. Uh, So on that basis, it's pretty similar. We made a commitment to try and using local malt. So I mentioned Warminster Maltings. They're 35 miles away. Uh, Warminster's owned by Robin Appel, whose principal business is um, negotiating um, a price with the farmers uh, and uh, contracting those crops. And if they meet the standard, he buys those crops. And the best of it, he now puts into his craft maltings, Warminster Maltings, and that gets sold across uh, the UK and indeed all over the world. Uh, but because they control that supply from farm to, to brewery, they can guarantee the provenance of that grain. Uh, and we have an agreement that our grain comes from around the Cotswold. So most of it's about 10 to 15 miles radius from, from the brewery and largely around Sirencester, which is uh, some really great um, barley growing uh, uh, countryside. So the Cotswolds have got valleys, but the tops of their flat plateaus are well draining and perfect for growing arable crops. Uh, so that was one of the main differences. Um, in 2008, in this sort of first recession, we looked at how we diversify our sales. And one of the things we started doing was bottling beers. Uh, and we made the decision at that point that all our bottle products would be organic beers. Again, I wanted to brew organically from the start. Uh, the market pubs didn't pay the premium. It was a bit more difficult to do. Uh, but we made the decision that um, uh, in bottles it, we could differentiate. So from 2008, we were brewing organic beers. So uh, yes, brewing, brewing um, uh, using local ingredients and, uh, as, and organic beers. And five years ago now, we became a dedicated organic brewery, meaning that all the beers that we produce are based on 
organic ingredients. Um, and why the delay? Well, I mentioned the pubs. I mean, pubs historically paid on uh, alcohol content and it was just a formula and didn't really allow differentiation between beers. The craft uh, beer movement has altered that. And uh, I think people agree that not all beers are equal. And in that, um, as well as ingredients, actual values and production methods come into the decision-making around why you might purchase a beer. So those premiums do, do change and that's allowed a bit of flexibility and we can get some of the cost back, you know, the margins that we need. Uh, but in general, uh, organic production uh, gives us limited choice of ingredients, especially hops. Uh, uh, they cost more by up to 50% in some cases. Uh, and the market isn't really that flexible enough or elastic enough to accommodate those prices. So we operate at reduced margins on our products. Um, uh, and why would we do that? It's because we feel it's the right thing to do. Um, in terms of uh, our business, you know, if we're looking at um, you know, the, the biggest impact we could make really, our main raw ingredients or our main um, yeah, raw materials are barley and hops. And therefore, we should be looking at how best to produce those for, for our products. Um, but surprisingly, or maybe not surprising, there's only five or six breweries in the UK from a total of over 2,500 breweries that are dedicated to organic brewing. Uh, and I think the main reason is that economically, it doesn't really stack up as well. Right, I see. Yeah. So yeah, so and, and you made that, as you say, you've 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 stuck. Well, not stuck, but you believe that uh, you know organic is the way forward for yourselves, and and as you say, it's you know more of a sustainable product in the end. So whether whether it be those you know those profit margins are smaller uh, at the end of the day, I, I bet you would compromise on anything going forward. Then really, in terms yes. of. A, it was a difficult decision because um, certainly you make more margin uh, using uh, conventional non-organic non uh, inputs, but we found it very difficult to say, these are all the benefits for our organic products, but if you want, you can have this other stuff that isn't quite so good for planet or you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, um, whereas, you know, we wanted to be endorsing uh, the, the benefits of, uh, of organic agriculture. Um, and, you know, I don't know if this is time, but you know, to sort of list some of those benefits, you know, why would we do it? Um, uh, obviously, organic agriculture is, is very much about reduced input. So it's not bringing in uh, artificial pesticides or fertilizers. Um, it, you know, in terms of health, historically, that's one of the main reasons that people might choose organic is that they didn't want those residues on their crops. Um, but one of the biggest differences is around biodiversity. Again, by not using insecticides and those things, you uh, have far more biodiversity on the farm. Uh, and I think the, the evidence is that there's about 25% more biodiversity on, a, on an organic farm than a, a conventional farm. Uh, and then more recently, you know, there's a lot of, uh, we've been talking a lot about carbon and carbon sequestration. And again, uh, organic farms um, uh, potentially hold far more uh, organic matter in the soils that you know they rely on the life in the soil and in fact you know the principle of organic farming is about managing your soil you know having as much life in the soil and from that you will get your your crops so it is about having more carbon in the soil um, but you know when you measure uh, success entirely in terms of carbon 
then you are also missing out on things like the biodiversity benefit. Uh, the other sort of cost that um, is not really uh, considered in, in organic farming is the cost of runoff. So our British waterways spend, uh, in fact, the largest bill I think is cleaning up nitrates and phosphates from our waterways uh, as a result of agricultural runoff. I think it's the, big, the biggest cost that they face. Uh, so in a way, agricultural products uh, are not subsidized by those external costs of loss of biodiversity or uh, water cleanup or health, uh, but there are true cost of that food. Um, and I think that's what, what uh, uh, anybody who's sort of involved in sustainable production, whether it's reducing energy costs or uh, whatever it might be, in a way they're removing the, the sort of subsidies that um, you know, we've been had our food system propped up by um, uh, and, and, and our, our task is to try and communicate those uh, uh, sort of difficult messages and, um, and get people sort of uh, uh, valuing that, that, that part of, our, of, of their, whatever their purchases are. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, as you say, just buy upon price and not necessarily consider the sort of uh, the, the you know the full impact of a product or a service that um, they they may be uh, you know may may have purchased or uh, you know using at all you know whether it be whether it be a subscription based service or whether it actually be a physical product as well. I mean, it's not the full environmental cost, um, and I think you know companies like yourselves and you know b corporations in general i i you know i think i think a lot of people view uh b corps as um you know luxury end sort of uh, products and services when actually they're not you know we we, we are we do we do take the full consideration of that you know the supply chains into consideration and the you know how the real benefits and the costs associated with um, the businesses we run, you know, it's not just about um, getting the cheapest product, cheapest um, material, um, and then maximizing profits, is it really? No, exactly. And that that was the the challenge we faced. You know, even just uh, as an organic brewery, the messages, uh, you know, around the benefits of, of organic farming, uh, they they're quite complex. It's not something you can fit on the side of every every can. Uh, and we and the organic movement hasn't done a great job of uh, of marketing and promoting organic. You know there is there are sort of negative feelings about it as well that maybe it's it's regenerative, it's sort of traditional, it's backwards, whatever. You know there's sort of mis misconceptions. Mm -hmm. um, so you know what we faced in trying to market the good things that we were doing. So it's not just about our production, but whether it was raising finance. We raised finance through a succession of crowdfunding activities most recently with uh, Triodos Bank as a, as a community bond. Uh, we capture rainwater off our roof. We use 100% green electricity. Uh, we use our building for community events and support you know, local community activities. Uh, we actively look at our programming of events to deliberately try and engineer community, you know, getting people together to meet each other that might not have done, uh, to have conversations that are quite topical. So these are all sort of things that we, we do, but you can't stick them all on the side of a can. Mm. So how do you convey those uh, that, that, that sort of breadth of activity? Uh, which is why we started looking and came across B Corps uh, as a way of, measuring that so we first of all we wanted to know how well we were doing you know what sort of impact were we having had how do you measure and monitor that 
Uh, and then how do you communicate the good things that you do? Uh, and that's exactly what B Corps does stand for. Uh, and hopefully, um, increasingly, when people see that symbol, the B Corps B on the, on the side of a pack or on a window, they know that those businesses must have a minimum level of, uh, of good practice and therefore are worth um, you know, supporting and uh, putting, putting in the bag. Yeah, and I think it, it cuts across so many levels, doesn't it, as well? You know, it's not just the fact that, um, as I say, it, you know, it's it's recognising that a business is not just the end product you're, you're buying or the service you're you know, engaged in. It is how you treat your staff, you know, how you go, you know, what what level of community support do you provide? Um, as you say, it comes down to everything you mentioned in Trudus uh, Bank there, you know, so who do you bank with and how, you know, how, how do you invest in your, you know, your, your pension schemes? Yes. All those elements are taken into consideration. And is, is that something that sort of, as you say, is it something that um, B Corps has helped you with or is it something just, just uh, um, you know, it's been a natural progression of, of sort of um, your ethos um, as, a, as, a, as a managing director? Um, I think... Both is yeah. the answer to that. I think you know we we you know I certainly had that inclination. That is my background, and I was trying to improve doing uh, what what we were hoping to do. What B Corp has done is drilled uh, and sort of exposed uh, how we do business, and uh, by its nature, it's uh, you know the the um, impact assessment is a multiple choice. There's good practice to best practice. You've got to put a bit of work in to get onto that first rung, but then it's very clear how you can improve. Uh, and it just illustrates, it puts best practice in front of you. Uh, and so it's a fantastic tool for, for uh, further improvement, which definitely has helped our business. And it's helped us to think about the way that we um, uh, structure our business and looking forward to how, you know, how to simplify that, um, uh, that, that assessment of ourselves. And, and uh, Definitely something that we've been trying to communicate all along, of course, is, you know, if people want to live in a better and different world, then you've got to spend your money in the places that are doing things differently. Uh, and again, you know, this is a great tool to just say, well, these businesses are doing something differently um and they're for-profit businesses you know they're working in the in the uh, uh capitalist uh, environment that we're in uh but uh they're doing that business responsibly and trying to do it in a way that um uh, isn't a detriment to people and planet yeah absolutely i think you know we're you know in a similar position that um you know we we, we're very much you know uh, you know profit is important to us uh, else we know um yeah. you know we wouldn't be able to employ the wonderful people that that we have with us and um and also advance i say a cause yeah. you know we, we know we, we i think um b calls and a lot of other companies as well you know they have a, a vision of values which they hold dear, close to them and i think b calls i think more importantly recognize that and um it's it's one thing putting it on your wall it's another thing living, you know, and breathing it as well. And I think that's what some, you know, we see a little bit of greenwashing going on there with, um, you know, this buzzword of, uh, you know, uh, values. And um, it's okay putting it on your website. But actually, when it comes to the hard decisions, yeah. that's when I think, um, you know, a true test of character comes in, you know, uh, you know tests your, you know, your, your resolve then when it comes to those vision and values. Yes, definitely. Um, in terms of then... Um, 
uh, I, I suppose that the, the, your, I suppose the next stages then, Greg, then in terms of um, for Stroud Brewery then. So actually going back to one question, you mentioned about, you know, the bottles and then I, I really noticed now that um, do you sell bottles anymore? Or is it all cans? We do. We've uh, completely moved to cans. Mm. So, you know, uh, lockdown through through that uh, challenge and perspective, every brewery in the land wanted to start packaging their products because they couldn't sell through hospitality. Uh, half our income is through our own bar. So we've got a thriving venue and tap, uh, tap house here. Uh, but the other half of our income is selling to other breweries, uh, other bars and restaurants and cafes. So, you know, first lockdown was, was, was really um, uh, very difficult for us. Um, and uh, the only way we could sell was remotely in, in small pack. Uh, the lead times went from a couple of weeks to three months. We didn't really know what, uh, uh, you know, it was very difficult to forecast. So we looked at how we would package in-house. And in that decision, it was a case of whether we go to bottles or cans. Uh, there are hybrid machines, but they don't do the job so well. Uh, and the uh, decision was very clearly in favour of cans. Uh, and that was largely on uh, the environmental factors. You know, cans are just far uh, less um, um, environmentally costly than than bottles. You know, aluminium is increasingly more recycled. Seventy to eighty percent of the aluminium in the UK is now recycled content. Uh, they weigh a fraction of the weight of a bottle. They take up less space. Uh, they they um, uh, yes, just just far far more environmentally uh, friendly. Uh, and then for us. Uh, we, when sending beer away, we were losing somewhere between 10 and 15% of the liquid that we were sending away. So again, that was barley grown, transported, malted, turned into beer and then poured down the drain. So huge saving and that on its own has paid for, you know, for the, the machine and the, the um, uh, new canning process. Um, certainly a lot of resistance or some resistance for customers who like the traditional bottle, mm -hmm. feel it's more premium, we're more used to it. Uh, the you know cans have been uh, associated with uh, cheap beer, cheap products. Uh, however, the craft beer movement has raised the kudos of the can to some extent, uh, and certainly we found that the product is far improved. You know, there, there's less intervention. Uh, we sort of have an unfiltered product straight into the can, and it uh, uh, for us has improved the product no end. So yeah. not not you know we don't regret the decision at all. It's been a great move. Uh, and to have control of the product right from the start to the finished product and, and uh, you know, allow ourselves to mess it up uh, has been really quite empowering for, for our brew team. No, I'm, I'm a total convert. I must admit that. Um, so I I, 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 am a home brewer myself. So I, I do. I know. I, I recycle. I reuse my box bottles. They come back to me, and that's that's okay. But in terms of um, cans, I just, as you say, they just taste a lot fresher. Uh, to, I don't know if that's psychologically or just is actual uh, real effect, but um, they taste better. The artwork on them is incredible. I think you can get some, you know a lot, but I mean it, visually they're a lot more appealing than bottles. I, I think personally as well. But um, yeah, it's interesting to say to say about um, I say the sustainability of beer and how it's how it's packaged as well. So we've gone from you know say you know the bottle to the can, but ultimately, do you think you know cask? as actually also i mean through lockdowns and so forth has lost out a little bit and actually we should really embrace going to pubs and and venues where they actually have cask ale on tap you 
come right to the, the crucial point, I, and that is absolutely the case. I mean, drinking cask beer is the most environmentally responsible way of drinking beer. Uh, the, the casks that we use, we've you know, I've had them since we started the brewery and they're reused over and over again. Uh, they get delivered a short distance to a local pub, you know, they're delivered directly uh, and then, yes, and then, they're, then they're reused. So, uh, yes, I mean, I, I don't know what the, the figures are. It's something we want to look at. But I think, you know, it's probably a quarter of the energy used as in um, uh, packaging small, small pack beer and storing it and traveling it around. Cask as well, compared with keg beers, uses far less refrigeration. And refrigeration costs, again, are a huge part of uh, the cost of um, uh, both can and, uh, keg and canned products. So, cask beer traditional cask beer is by far the best way to drink beer in in of environmental terms uh, i think another consideration uh you know one of the benefits of drinking in a pub is drinking socially with other people uh, and have a real part to play in building community um so you know if we're talking about uh, our sustainable future um, I think already people are recognizing that, um, you know, they want to try and move their um, uh, or try and create their identities, not by spending. So it's not in sort of a consumer identity, but much more about a relationship based identity. You are uh, the, the people, the friends and the families that you um, spend your time with. And I think people recognize that importance and certainly coming out of the pandemic, people really have valued that family and friend time. Um, so I think the things that uh, we might measure our future on isn't so much about spending and commodity, uh, and also um, that what matters is, is around quality of life. So again, not measuring on income or GDP, but um, you know, the sort of, um, you know, the quality of life around uh, leisure time, uh, around time with family, about time outside, being in the outdoors, appreciating, na appreciating nature, uh, whether it's time growing your own vegetables or learning a craft, uh, which are sort of self-development rather than spending on stuff that we really don't need. <laughs> no, I no, totally agree with that. And it's, yeah, I think I think we, we need to value, I'm sure, I mean, most people listen to this podcast, but I'm sure will realise the value of um, the natural environment, you know, what it yeah. gives to us, you know, air, food and water and so forth. And I say that that's that, that's that space to, to connect with people. And I, I'm, I must admit, I, I, I love your brewery. I mean, I, I've... Uh, you know, we had our Christmas meal. I mean, we, we've been there previously to this, but um, our Christmas meal there, you know, and your staff was so welcoming as well. I mean, it, it just made the event itself. It's not just about the food. As you say, it's about the people that um, are there. We were we made so welcome. Um, the, the beers are great, obviously. Uh, and um, I, and we'll be back there. I think we're back there in a couple of weeks' time for a, an event in one of your, you know, I think we're hurrying one of your rooms out. Uh, sorry, uh, we'll be there for it in a night time um, as our social. Um, but yeah, I love what you do. So, how can people find out more about your wonderful beers, um, your wonderful company, brewery, and, and yourself, then, Greg? Well, um, like everybody else, I would say go and look at our website. Uh, that's a constant journey for us, improving all the time, but all our events are listed there. You can book tables there. Uh, it tells you about our beers uh, and, uh, and, of course, our story. 
if you want to hear the latest news, we again, you can subscribe to a newsletter. Uh, and again, we're trying to get much better about that so that we don't bombard everybody with uh, stuff they don't want to hear. Uh, but yes, or even better is to come and visit us, of course, mm. as you suggest, you know, if you're anywhere near Stroud, uh, um, it'd be great to just um, uh, meet people and, and come and come and meet our team here at Stroud Brewery. Great. Well, Greg, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Ecology Academy podcast. Thank you. Well, have a great Be Cool month. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour. So stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.